So let's say a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we ask you to guide us tonight and uh, help us as we dig into these rules, these first four rules of St. Ignatius. Bless our uh, class and our time together. And we say together, glory be to the Father, and, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Ignatius, pray for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so were you guys all here for the first class on this? No. Okay, quick overview. Uh, the beginning of last time we talked about kind of just the general idea of what is discernment of spirits. And the whole idea of discernment of spirits is trying to be aware of who's speaking to me. Like, is it the, the you know, we, in, the, in the category of the evil spirit, you could put our own personality at some times when we're in a bad mood or whatever, or the, uh, the devil speaking to us, trying to direct us or guide us, or is it the good spirit, which again could be our, our own selves in a certain sense, or more, more likely the Holy Spirit. So... The idea is to try to be aware and then be able to act. So um, if we're not aware, sometimes these pressures are kind of brought to bear on us and we sort of are feeling a certain way, but our feelings don't actually direct what is the reality. Sometimes our feelings uh, don't reflect reality. And so sometimes because of our unawareness of what's happening around us, um, we can be guided by the wrong spirit. So we want to discern the spirit so they can, we can do the right thing at the right time. So that's kind of the, the general idea of what the discernment of spirits are. And so now we're going to be looking at specific rules. Ignatius has 14 rules of discernment. We're going to be looking at them um, to help us better know how to do this. So <clears throat> questions as we begin. You have the four rules there in front of you. We'll be, we'll be looking at that periodically. So, um, I want to begin with rule one and two really go well together. Um, and just kind of as a preamble, I want to look at um, rule one there. Let's, let's read that. The first rule. In persons who go from mortal sin to mortal sin, the enemy is commonly used to propose to them apparent pleasures, making them imagine sensual delights and pleasures in order to hold them more and make them grow in their vices and sins. In these persons, the good spirit uses the opposite method, pricking them and biting their consciences through the process of reason. So that's the first rule. Basically, um, this is something you have to kind of decide or understand about a person if you're going to help them or yourself if you're going to kind of try to look for, for guidance. So am I moving away from God or towards God? I need to discern that. So if you look at a person's life, you can kind of make a certain judgment just by the way they live, right? If I'm going to church, if I'm trying to pray, if I'm trying to, you know, live a regular practicing life uh, as, a, as a Catholic or a Christian, I'm going towards God. You might not say I'm perfect. You might say there's, there's issues still I'm working through, but I'm moving towards God, right? That, that's pretty clear. Now, if I'm going away from God, it's like I'm, I am not really paying any attention to God. I'm not really doing anything um, 
to pursue God in my life. I don't really even know God. Um, so that's kind of the, the gist of it is you kind of want to know the direction because then you can kind of tell which voice is speaking and how it's speaking. So if I'm moving away from God, the feeling that's going to be uncomfortable at times is God. He's going to be basically saying, hey, wake up. I want to, I want to help you uh, figure this out. You're going in the wrong direction there, buddy. And uh, when we're in that direction, when we're going away from God, what does the evil one do? He's like, oh, isn't this fun? This is great, isn't it? Here, try this thing. You haven't tried this yet. This is, doesn't this look, look fun? Uh, oh, oh, this is really great. You've got to try this. So he kind of keeps us trying to be distracted so we're not noticing uh, our interior uh, awareness that we're moving in the wrong direction. Wrong direction. He tries to dull that kind of and, and speak uh, against it. Now, if we're moving towards God, what is, especially in the beginning, like the hardest point to discern is when you make a turn, right? On either end. Uh, probably more so down here. Because when you're turning around after going away from God for a long time and now you're suddenly trying to get back to God, what, what suddenly happens is somebody's bedtime? Bedtime, yeah. <laughs> so when you're moving, when you're moving uh, towards God, especially in the beginning, if you just have a quick turnaround, you're moving suddenly towards God. The the uh, enemy of our souls, as Ignatius calls it, is going to be basically saying, uh, "Oh, isn't this uncomfortable? Like you're going to lose all these fun things that we used to do together." Like the devil is just basically put this big uh, moment of uncertainty like oh can I do this is it possible for me to turn away from sin is it possible for me to avoid this lifestyle you know when we try to turn to God in that moment it's difficult because the evil one's going to tell us that it, it's not going to go so well um, whereas the, the Lord is going to encourage us and say yes it is possible you can do this I will walk with you I will journey with you so that's kind of the first rule is to kind of be aware which direction am I going? Am I going towards God or away from God? And once we know that, uh, we can start to kind of tell which voice is which. Because, um, yeah, we, we, we need to, to know kind of that baseline. St. Augustine uh, talks about this. So last time we talked about St. Augustine, you remember him? Um, wrong book. He... Um, he had a pretty wild younger years of his life. And then uh, in his you know, 30s, he started moving towards God and was really seeking God. And, and in different ways, was starting to be open to that. But it took him a long time to figure that out. But it, he gets to this point where he really wants to follow God. And yet he's like right here, right at the turning point, And he's finding himself hesitating. He's like, ah, can I do this? Because he's giving up. The sinful life, right? The the pleasures, you know, the things that uh, that he had some pleasure in, and those things are only pleasurable in the moment, right? So they don't have a staying power. But you, if if you've been caught in that, you can experience. Sometimes there's that sort of cycle where it's like, ah, oh, like I can't avoid this desire I have, or this I I can't say no to myself in this moment. And so he's kind of dealing with that experience. And um, so I'm going to read from a little bit of his account here. 
So this is St. Augustine right at the moment where he's, he's trying to um, turn to the Lord, but he's having a hard time. He says, I was held back by mere trifles, the most paltry inanities, basically that's small little uh, things, all my old attachments. They plucked at my garment of flesh and whispered, are you going to dismiss us? From this moment, you shall never be with you again forever and ever. From this moment, you will never be allowed to do this thing or that forevermore. These voices no longer barred my way, blatantly contradictory, but their mutterings seemed to reach from behind, as though they were uh, stealthily plucking at my back, trying to make me turn my head when I wanted to go forward. So you can hear in his voice even, like, he's he's already made the turn, but this this is what the devil is going to tell you, right? Like, you can't do this. This is, you're stuck. Like, you're never going to have fun again in your life. You, you, you better not go down this path. You're just going to give up all the fun. So they, you're going to hear that voice or sort of have that feeling at times uh, when you have that moment of conversion. So it's important to know that, especially if you're walking with somebody. Maybe you have yet that experience yourself. All of you go to church, you're already heading in this direction. But someone who's just starting to think about becoming more serious about their faith, it can be a very discouraging moment, right? Because... They're hopeful in the sense that they've had, they've had some kind of encounter of the Lord that has allowed them to turn. So St. Augustine had that moment. Uh, I don't know if we talked about that last time, but he had several encounters with people in his life, friends even, who were saying, we've encountered the Lord and we're just, we're going forward. We're going to go become Christian. We're going to get baptized and we're going to try to live this way. And we're serious about it. And so he saw that and he was like, wow, like, he was very impressed by their, their just rapid response, whereas his, he felt his response was kind of sluggish. Like, I want to do that, but I, I hold back because I'm fearful of giving up all my attachments. So it's really important when somebody is at that point to be able to encourage them and help them to know it's going to get better, it's going to get easier, it's not going to be easy right away, and it's okay if it's not. You're like, you can persevere. That's really important. So it's really a, a, an important part about rule one is to know which direction I'm going and then... Um, to be able to uh, recognize which voice is speaking. Uh, Let's look at rule two now. So rule two on the little handout here. In the persons who are going on intensely cleansing their sins and rising from good to better in the service of God our Lord, it is the method contrary to that in the first rule. For then it is the way of the evil spirit to bite, sadden, and put obstacles, disquieting with false reasons that one may not go on. And it is proper to the good to give courage and strength, consolations, tears, inspirations, quiet, easing, and putting away all obstacles that one may go on in well-doing. I would say in doing well. But, uh, so, kind of the opposite, right? So, um, when, we're, when we're going from good to better, the, the voice that is positive and encouraging is the Lord, and the voice that is negative is the evil one. So, um, so the evil one, we've all probably had this to some extent. He places obstacles, right? He tells us it's impossible. It's never going to happen for you. You can't, you can't overcome this. Like this, this, and and it. What an example would be. I, I want to, um, it could be just as simple as, I want to just go to church. And what's going to happen? Well, 
you can't do that. You got your golf buddies on Sunday. They they just they're what are, you're not gonna have any friends if you go to that church. They just nobody's gonna want to be hanging around with you. You're all all your friends are here on the golf course or at this place. You know why why would you change that? So there'd be these little things that come up and become obstacles and. And of course, it's it's a lie, right? These are lies that the evil one tells us. Um, as we go further along, and we get further along in the journey, the evil one's not going to attack us directly. Um, he's not going to try to make a sin in a sense. He will he will basically uh, try to put doubt in our mind. If you think of the story of Adam and Eve, what did the evil one do? He put doubt, right? He didn't. He didn't um, tell her, like, "Hey, you should do this. Uh, it's it's going to be, um, you know, it's it's going to be better." He he said, "Well, what did God say?" He started to kind of play with the words a little bit. What did God say? Did God say you uh, you can't do this? And she said, "Well, we we can't do it except for this one tree. We can't eat from this one tree." And so there's doubt that's brought in. The evil one is very good about kind of playing with words. And so as soon as our focus turns from God to the evil one, that's always a bad sign because we're starting to dialogue and, and kind of get drawn into his lies. Um, so here's a little, uh, little uh, quote from this book here. His tactic is such, in such persons is rather a biting, a gnawing action that triggers a sense of anxiety, diminishing their peace and undermining their delight in God's service. And this approach is effective. If they and we are not aware of, do not understand, or do not reject the biting action, it will in fact diminish our energy in rising from good to better. Further problems will ensue as well. And if we continue to yield to this troubling action uh, of the enemy. So, we've had that experience probably, right? Where we had certainty about something. I know this is the right thing to do. But suddenly I'm a little doubtful if I can do it or if it's going to be happy for me or whatever. And so what St. Ignatius is saying, when you, when you have discerned something or you know something's good for you and you have these doubts, um, where is that coming from? You know? And why is it coming? What's, the, what's his goal there? He's not going to try to get you to sin, but he's going to try to make you doubt so that you can slow down and even start to, to question yourself. Um, so it's important uh, to recognize there's a distinction between godly sorrow and um, sorrow that comes from the evil one, right? The sour, sorrow that comes from God is to help us recognize something that's truly bad for us or something that's, you know, that there, there should be sorrow. Uh, sorrow that comes from the evil one is usually directed to, it's cloaked under some way that kind of is leading us in the wrong direction. Um, he wants to interfere with us, basically, and draw us down the wrong path. Um, he tries to upset or interfere with our service of God. So, uh, here's another little quote. In Rule 2, Ignatius highlights different types of sadness. A sadness with respect to God, to prayer, to the love of others in God, that is, everything involved in the pursuit of God's will. Such sadness diminishes the spiritual energy of the persons so afflicted, impeding their progress towards God. So that's the kind of sadness that the evil one tries to put in, in, our, in our way. 
Um, and we'll hear things like, how can you continue a life such, uh, of such great penance, deprived of all satisfaction with friends and relatives and possessions? How can you lead so lonely a life with no rest uh, when you can save your soul in other ways without such dangers? So if we're trying to do something great for the Lord, if we really want to sacrifice our, our souls and do great things for God, like the devil doesn't want that, right? So he's kind of like, well, why try so hard? You can get to heaven. You can, you can get there. You, just, you don't have to work so hard, though. Like, just slow down a little bit. Enjoy. Have fun. Uh, just accept uh, that you don't have to. It's not so hard. And so he tries to make it seem like this great sacrifice that we intended and even offered to God. Um, it, we don't really need to do that. We don't have to work so hard, you know. So he'll, he'll kind of indirectly kind of push us away from God. And it's over, over time, what is he... We do, what happens is we're going to God and then we start to slow and then if he can get us to go kind of sideways and then eventually he tries to pull us down. So um, this can be an experience that people have where they were fervent and were doing all the things of God and then at some point things kind of got cooled off and then they find themselves suddenly like, how did I get here? I never intended to get here but all of a sudden I find myself in a place where I don't really... I'm not even being faithful to God. I'm not going to church like I used to. I'm not praying like I used to. I'm not uh, being kind and generous and charitable towards my friends and family members like I used to be. Um, and it's just, he, he works on us, right? It's a constant work. So we, we, if we only listen to that voice, we're going to get caught in the, up in that, that problem. So that's why it's so important to have this discernment of spirits so that we can recognize when we get here, we start to say, hey, why is this happening? Then we can respond and say, ah, this is, this is the evil one. I can p- pick him out and decide to go back towards the Lord. Uh, okay. I want to read another little quote. This is, this is a, a woman who went on a, a retreat and she had a great retreat. Um, it was a powerful retreat for her. But then as she was leaving the retreat, some things started to happen. Uh, uh, that experience I had, that, that experience I had as I was leaving after my retreat a month ago, made quite an impression on me. It certainly took me by surprise. My mind was in such confusion that I couldn't comprehend what was happening to me. I didn't understand how I could feel so bad so fast after feeling so good for so long. On my way home, I was second guessing my entire retreat, and felt that due to my failure, it had been a complete waste of time. I figured that I must have some serious problem that maybe I had been dishonest by not bringing it up during the retreat. And since it didn't even, I didn't even know what the problem was, I concluded that I, must, I was probably incapable of a good retreat because I was incapable of being honest and open. You can see that it's like this negativity that's kind of hanging on her and she's, she's kind of being drawn uh, by it. The thought came to me that I should not waste more your time and mine with this, with these retreats. When I thought of calling you about it, so she's talking about her director who directed the retreat. When I thought of calling you about it, I ran into still more obstacles. I felt like I really had no right to bother you. After all, my retreat was over. If things weren't resolved during the retreat, that was my own fault. So, can you hear how she's, she had a great retreat, had a powerful experience. What does the devil do? He almost does this anytime you have something good happen in your life. He tries to get in there and 
drop a little like bird poop on it or something. He, he just wants to ruin it, right? He wants to spoil it. So you have to be, it's almost you can expect it. If you go and do something awesome spiritually or you grow spiritually in a moment, powerful event in your life, there's going to be some little attempt to try to steal the, the fruit or steal the, or, or sully it or make it um, not as great. Yeah, well, that's part of it, yeah. So being ready. It's almost like being ready because it's going to come, and then when it does come, to recognize it and say, nope, you're not coming in here. So, But if, we, if we're not aware, right, what happens is these feelings happen, like she's saying, and if she would have just continued down that path, what was it saying? Like, I had a great retreat. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm questioning it. I'm questioning it. I don't understand it. Maybe I should never go on retreats. This this. I, I, I thought I was doing good, but it didn't work out. I'm never doing a retreat again. And suddenly you're down here. It's like, what happened? You had this awesome thing. God did something in your life. And suddenly you find yourself saying, I sh I sh I'm not even worthy to go on retreats. I'm not a good retreater. I, I guess I shouldn't do retreats. They're not meant for me. Like how many of us have had that experience or heard somebody share that experience? Oh, I didn't. It wasn't for me, you know? And... Um, this is, this is how the devil works. He, he tries to uh, push us in a direction. And, and if we're not aware of his action and not asking the Lord to, to guide us through it, it can be uh, very problematic. Okay. Um, I want to read another little quote. At times a similar process occurs in the hearts of dedicated people as they seek the Lord. They review their spiritual situation and find one reason after another why they are deficient, and they are troubled. On such occasions, they need to be very aware of what is taking place. When the three following elements are simultaneously present, then we may be sure that the enemy is at work. Persons rising from good to better and serving God, uh, considerations, reasons, regarding the spiritual situation which seem convincing to them, and arising from these con considerations as its cause, a disquiet that diminishes their effective strength in following the Lord. Such false reasons are not to be given credence, but simply rejected. So, um, we have to, again, recognize who's speaking, and recognize the voice when it's speaking, and reject. This is not of the Lord. And so, Part of these rules are, are um, going to be helping us understand that. Like, um, it's important to, to, to kind of use those rules because in the moment, it's very hard to discern. It's, it's hard to know. Like, the feeling is, I'm not very good at retreats. I, I just feel this. And it feels true, right? In that moment, it feels like it's the truth. So I have to, I have to in that moment, be able to discern and, and reject it. And sometimes we need a little help. And that's where... Looking at the rules or knowing the rules can help us with that. Um, one of the tricks of the evil one is to tell us to keep it private, right? To not talk about our, our struggles with our, whether it's our, if we have a spiritual director or a priest or maybe a, a good friend who is kind of a spiritual person. Um, somebody that we can bounce ideas off of and with with a sense that they're not going to go telling it all around town, but somebody that I can trust and have a good conversation with. It's a good thing to share our struggles because sometimes even just speaking it, we see how ridiculous it is. And in that moment, it's like, oh, I can't believe I was falling for that. But in our heads, right, it seemed perfectly logical. Like, 
we just we did, don't see it for what it is. So ha having even just the ability to speak it out loud to another person is, is helpful. Um, praying about it. So God helps us. He will, he will not, God does not like to say, well, you tried and I'm going to let you just go down. If, if we are asking the Lord and, and inviting him to guide us, he will give us the insights we need and the guidance we need if we can um, pay attention to what he's offering to us. Questions so far? Rule one and two. Somebody asked me the other day, how can God allow that earthquake to take those 50,000 people? And I didn't know how to answer that. Yeah. I know that doesn't refer to this, but yeah. I, it came to my mind. How would you answer something like that? It's called the problem of evil. There's The world has fallen, right? So... On a, for a non-religious person, what do they point to? Well, it's how, it's how the wor world works, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But for us, we would look at it and say, the world at the fall, not only we fell, humanity, but all of creation fell. So now there's this disorder in creation. And so um, God allows it, right? Because, because he allows evil. He doesn't, he doesn't require us uh, to obey him. He asks us to obey him and invites us to do that. But since the fall, all of creation has been disordered. And it's not only in humanity, it's in all of creation. Why is there illness? Why is there natural disasters? These are natural evils, we would call them. But you could also look at like, uh, you know, when a child is born that has deformities or whatever. There's all kinds of ways in which this natural uh, disorder affects us as human beings. And one of it is, is natural disasters. But... That's not so simple. Well, it's not. It's not. It's not so simple to explain. I, I pretty much just said that uh, if people didn't die, we'd be running over each other. It just, just if we live forever. Created nature, and nature is going to take its course. Yeah. One way or the other. No, I don't know if that made any sense or not. It sounded a little bit crude, I suppose. <laughs> sure. Well, if you follow that to the. If you follow that line of reasoning, then you could say, well, that's a good thing that we have wars and things. It gets rid of no, people. I don't know about that. Well, if you follow that line of reasoning, though, if you're saying we're, the problem is overcrowding. Yeah, but if you're saying that if you're saying that the reason this is okay is because it gets rid of the extra people. By nature, though. By natural course. Well. Not by some human being that sure. decided we needed nuclear arms. And sure, whatever. sure. Anyway, I, I, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions about rules one and two? Otherwise, we're going to move to rule three. Okay, we're doing, we're doing good here on, on time. Third rule uh, of spiritual consolation. So, this is talking specifically about consolation. I call it consolation when some interior movement in the soul is caused through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its creator and Lord. And when it can, in, and when it can in consequence, love no created thing of the face, on the face of the earth in itself, but in the creator of them all. Likewise, when it sheds tears that move to love of its Lord, whether out of sorrow for one's sins or for the passion of Christ our Lord, or because of other things directly connected with his service and praise. Finally, I call consolation every increase of hope faith and charity, and all interior joy which calls and attracts to heavenly things and to the salvation of one's soul, quieting it and giving it peace in the Creator and Lord. 
So these are all ways in which constellation comes to us. And we may have experienced some of these, may, may not. These are constellation, there's a natural constellation and spiritual constellation. And so we'll, we'll try to talk about the difference between those two. But um, constellation is, when we talk about spiritual constellation, we're talking about there's a feeling inside that's connected to what is God doing in me? He's, he's offering me some consoling experience. Could be a very simple thing, or it could be a more complex thing. So on a, let's talk about natural consolation because that might be easier to think about. So you can have a chocolate chip cookie, which is very consoling in the moment, and you eat it, and it's like, ah, that's nice. Uh, what did I do it for? <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's a natural consoling thing, though, right? It's, it's or maybe not chocolate chip cookie, whatever your little dessert is, <laughs> chocolate. Um, or you can have like a deep conversation with a close friend or a child or something, and that can be a consoling thing on a deeper level, right? Like it could be, um, it's a natural, still a natural thing, but it's a consoling on a deeper level. So there can be um, different levels of cons- consolation and uh, different ways in which it's experienced, if that makes sense. So we all are going to experience consolation a little different, and some things are going to console us more or less, depending on our personality. What, but God knows all, all of us, so it's not like a question. He knows how to console us. And so St. Ignatius is listing some different ways in which um, commonly are experiences of consolation for us. So again, natural consolations aren't spiritual. They're just, they're just natural. They're, they're things that are around and available. Um, they can be a springboard, right? They can lead us. So if you've had a great day, um, you got to eat your chocolate chip cookie, you got to talk to your friend, uh, the, the weather was nice, um, it might be easier to pray that evening. It might be like, because you're, you're in a good mood, you're, you're in a natural place. If you've been on retreat or a vacation, you've had time to rest, on a natural level, you're just more disposed to enter into the spiritual realm of, of, of being with the Lord. So there's a way in which that helps us. Likewise, if you've had a really horrible day, it might be hard to pray, right? Because you've had natural desolation. Um, so they're, they're connected, but not the same, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Natural things, things that aren't spiritual. It's not like God is, is uh, kind of zapping us or doing something in us. It's more we are experiencing the things that he has given and it's bringing us a little consolation, a little joy, a little excitement, whatever, whatever the case may be. But a natural consolation could, like a, could lead to a spiritual consolation? Yes. But a negative, like a desolation could lead to a... A, a natural negative. desolation can also lead to a, natural, or a spiritual desolation. And that's the next rule. We'll get to that. But um, yeah, so a natural... It goes the other way never goes a natural a natural consolation can they lead to it yes okay. yeah so consolation would be uh, something that we're we're drawn to it's helping us it's helping us feel uh, good right it's it's and so on a spiritual level what's happening is God is doing something he's acting in our lives in some way so that's the spiritual part is important to, to discern. So let's uh, read a little thing here. The distinction 
is crucial to discern to discernment of spirits. Indeed, accurate discernment of spirits is only possible when this distinction has been assimilated. Oh, maybe that wasn't the part I wanted to read. Uh, okay, here we go. Spiritual consolation, happy, uplifting movements of the heart, and so consolation uh, directly impacts our life of faith and our following of God and His doing His will. So. How do you know if it's a spiritual consolation or just a consolation? Does it have anything to do with faith? Does it have anything with doing God's will? Does it have anything to do with following God or being faithful with God? Um, if it's leading me towards that, it's a spiritual consolation. Um, a natural thing, it, does it just give me a natural happiness? I, I feel relaxed. I feel peaceful. I feel joyful. I feel content. I feel... Uh, whatever. There's lots of ways we could feel a, a natural consolation, and that's these are both good things, right? Um, and again, the, the natural can lead to the supernatural, but we don't want to we don't want to we don't want to discern off of a natural consolation. We don't want to say, ah, after all those cookies, I feel like I I should be a hermit. I've decided I'm going to be a hermit, and I've made this discernment of spirit because I feel content now, and I'm ready to go be a hermit. Like. No, not a good discernment, right? It's, uh, you, don't, you don't jump into a, a big question like that off of a natural consolation. Um, so we have to be aware of that about ourselves. Like sometimes we, we might be moved in the wrong direction if we're not aware of, is this a spiritual or is this a, a natural? Okay. We're on the third rule so far. Okay. Uh, the important point here is that discerning persons must be able to recognize the difference between what is a what is spiritual and what is non-spiritual consolation. This ability permits a spiritual move. Uh, this ability permits them, on the one hand, to avoid drawing spiritual conclusions from non-spiritual movements, and on the other, to gain strength as God desires from genuinely spiritual consolations. So, uh, we'll return to that in further rules. But So that's an important point, to be able to distinguish the two. And sometimes that can be a little tricky if we haven't been thinking in those categories. Um, an example that he gives in his book. St. Therese, have you heard of her? Mm -hmm. She's a nun, and she uh, lived in France, and I think she had three other sisters that were in the convent with her, so there's a little Carmelite or Carmelite um, uh, convent. And one day she was praying in the garden and then she was just walking back to the house and she saw a mother hen with its chicks under the wings and it was like kind of protecting them. And, and she saw that and it moved her to tears because she made this connection like, that's what God does to me. That's what God does for us is he... He puts out his wings and he protects us, the little chicks, the helpless chicks. And so this natural thing that had no spiritual, it wasn't like the chicken said, let me give this spiritual teaching to St. Therese. I'm a very wise chicken. Uh, it was more that, that she saw this and it became an image for her of what God does. And so just this little scene that she saw 
moved her from a merely natural thing to a supernatural thing. So that can happen sometimes where we are, we're drawn into something and God uses something natural to speak to us. Um, yes. Uh, constellations are going to vary. There's diff- different ways they, they come to us, ex- different ways we experience them. Um, but they, when it's a spiritual constellation, it enkindles a love for God and gives us the strength we need to basically go closer to God and harmonize our lives with, with what he's asking of us. Uh, the effect of seeing constellation, uh, I want to share a little bit of that. It's, it's always good. Um, what will happen in our spiritual lives if we become aware of God, of God's ordinary presence in us, in the spiritual consolations he pours upon us? What will happen if we are within enough? What he means by that is we're, we're aware of what's my interior disposition. What is, what's my interior um, kind of openness or closeness to God? What will happen if, our within enough, if we are within enough to be aware of and identify these spiritual consolations as a loving God gives them to us day by day? Then, like Ignatius, we will increasingly find God during the hours of the day. Then what, we, what may seem a beautiful but distant teaching of faith, that is, that God is ever with us, will cease to be abstract. And with wonder, we will personally know its truth. Through awareness of the spiritual consolations stirring in our hearts, we will know that our God is for us, as for the pilgrim people in the desert, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. A God who always walks by our side, leading us along the way. So that's the hope then, is if you can become aware, you don't just kind of bumble through your life and say, yeah, it was a good chocolate chip cookie. Oh, there's a chicken, there's a thing, it's good things. But you start to say, God is speaking to me through the chocolate chip cookie. He's saying, I love you. I'm glad you have a cookie today. Uh, he speaks to us through the chicken. Ah, this is what I want to help you understand, that I love you enough to care for you. So there's different ways God speaks to us. And again, he knows each of us. So you might see a chicken and say, God, do not speak to me through a chicken. I will not get the message. Like for me, dogs. Like I do not get messages through dogs. I know people love their dogs, but the dog is going to lick me and I don't want it. And I have black on and it's a white dog. And yeah, so... Uh, so, God, please do not use dogs to speak to me. And then, of course, he would, but, um, yeah. So he knows each of us, and he's, he's going to use our own kind of disposition to speak to us accordingly. So, trust that. Like, isn't like God is trying to trick us, right? But we have to also kind of start to be aware and say, okay, Lord, I trust you're speaking. Help me to see and recognize, right? That should be one of our prayers is constantly asking for recognition of God's uh, disposition and and, and uh the ways he's speaking to us in our day-to-day lives. Okay, now we're going to shift to the last rule. I would say of the four today, the first two are just very basic. They kind of give us the terrain, you might say. Uh, Number three is nice because it helps us to kind of be more aware. Number four is really important because uh, when is discernment of spirits most helpful to us? I think on a just a human level. It's when we can recognize the evil one at work, right? Because that's when we are discouraged. That's when we're frustrated. That's when we're sad. And it's the moments when we 
can go sideways and down rather than up. Um, when we're going up, it's like, we're like, well, this is, this is good. Life is good. But when we're having this experience, if we don't recognize that the evil ones at work here and that I, can actually, I could actually avoid this or turn it around, uh, if we don't recognize that, it's really discouraging, really discouraging. So rule four of spiritual desolation. I call desolation all the contrary of the third rule, such as darkness of soul, a disturbance in it, movement to things low and earthly, the unquiet of, of different agitations and temptations, moving to want of confidence, without hope, without love, when one finds oneself all lazy, tepid, sad, and as if separated from its, his creator and Lord, because as consolation is contrary to desolation, in the same way the thoughts which come from consolation are contrary to the thoughts which come from desolation. Uh, so this, this is something we all experience. I would say, maybe you each feel it in a different way, but I definitely know that the little statement there, movement to things low and earthly, low and earthly things. When I'm not feeling great, it's so easy to look for a quick distraction, isn't it? Like, well, I wonder what YouTube has, or I wonder what the news has, or I wonder what, oh, there's and the chocolate chip cookie. In that moment, it's bad because now I'm reaching for it as a substitute for God. I'm looking for a way to feel better about my not feeling great. Um, low and earthly things start to seem like the answer to my problems. And this is, uh, this is how, if we're not aware of what's going on, if we don't stop and say, okay, why am, I, why am I suddenly reaching for all these things? Why am I looking? And it can even be, like, could be sinful things, right? Or it could just be natural things that aren't, they're sort of neutral, good, neither good nor bad, but I'm using them as a way to try to make myself feel better. So it could be that, or it could be even sinful things. Like this is how sometimes people get addicted to things. They, they are looking to replace or looking for like a false joy, right? So I'm going to drink, or I'm going to gamble, I'm going to, you know, go online, I'm going to, whatever. You know, we find different ways to try to seek a simple, what seems like a consolation, but it's really bringing, it down, bringing us down the path of desolation because we're trying to replace God with these things, basically. So desolation has to be resisted, and it should be resisted because it's, it's you know, sometimes I think people will say, I am feeling not great, but I guess that's just how God wants me to feel. God just wants me to feel bad today. And it's just, it's my lottery number today. Today I was selected to be of the not feeling great. And so it's, it's my duty to, to just bear this and, and, and be sad and, and frustrated today. And sometimes people actually think that, like that's how God is. Um, but God never puts us into desolation. He allows it. But he never sends us into desolation. Um, so we can always choose to be consoled and remain with the Lord, even in difficult situations. That's where you can have saints who are um, going to their death, and they're, they're fine with it. They're happy. They're, they're consoled because they know they're going in the right place. Um, that's kind of an extreme example, but uh, this idea that I should just Bear, that I should just accept this bad feeling or this desolation, we should always work against desolation. Spiritual desolation must be resisted and rejected. 
because uh, it's coming from the evil one. He's trying to direct us. So a little, a little understanding of this can help us gain power over it. It's, I would, there's a difference between uh, experiencing the emotion of anger and stepping back and seeing myself experience the emotion of anger. It allows me to kind of say, okay, what do I, what do I need to do here? If I'm, I mean, for those of you who have children, and you, maybe it's been a while since you have little children, but when, you, uh, when they do something that drives you crazy and you want to discipline them right in that moment, sometimes you do, right? You do it out of anger. Are you really helping the situation usually? Probably not. If, but if you can say, ah, okay, we're going to, Johnny, Johnny, let's, uh, let's not do that. And why don't we do that, Johnny? Because, you know, we kind of work with them and discipline them. They need to be disciplined. But I don't do it out of anger. I don't do it in the moment of, of wrath. But it, rather I do it in a way uh, that's constructive. Helps me go through it in a different way. I experience the whole experience differently. And it's kind of like that with with desolation. If we can look at it and see what it is, it's almost like, ah, I know what you're doing. You're doing that thing again where you're trying to bring me down and I'm not going to bite on that one. It's like he's got his little worm in the water and he's saying, hey, isn't this what you think is a juicy worm here? And we sometimes bite on it, but we have to resist it. So I want to read, uh, yes. Non-spiritual desolation also exists. Okay, yeah, we talked about that, actually. Okay, darkness of soul. This is one of the things he describes. Um, if the good spirit gives inspirations, in rule two we talked about that, to communicate light and clarify the way God uh, towards God, the enemy conversely instills a darkness of soul with precisely the contrary effect. Here, the person feels helplessly trapped in confusion, unable to comprehend what is occurring spiritually. Mingled with this inability to understand is the uh, effectively heavy sense that things are going badly and will continue to worsen. So we've had that maybe experience where you, things aren't going well, you know, it's my wedding day, it's raining right now, and I'm supposed to be having pictures, and... Can you believe it? Maybe I shouldn't even get married. Maybe this is all, I don't even like my spouse. Look at, look at them. They, are, they just, look at that. And suddenly everything's a mess, right? And it's like, hey, it's just raining. It's okay. Your pictures are going to be different than maybe what you expected, but it's, it's going to be okay. Like there's, we can, we can just, we don't have to go down this path. We can just keep going up, right? It's your wedding day. You should be happy today. It's awesome. Uh, but this little thing gets in there and tries to poop on our parade, right? The little bird poop and the chocolate chip cookie, and now it's like, I can't eat around it. It's, it's all ruined. So uh, we have to resist that and, and say, I see what you're trying to do there. And again, that's more of kind of a natural desolation, the rain thing. But you can see how it kind of leads into spiritual desolation. Suddenly, I'm angry about this, and then everybody's a jerk, and... Can you believe it? And so we can get down there pretty quick, especially if we are unaware. 
If we are unaware, we can be led down there. We're kind of led by the nose without even thinking about it. But if we're aware, we can say, okay, it is raining, but it's okay. It's not the end of the world. I can, I can persevere through this, and there's going to be good things that come of it. So maybe I live in Italy. In Italy, they say it's good luck to have rain on your wedding. I don't know if that's an American thing. I haven't heard that, but... So we have, to, we have to kind of recognize, right? Um, we don't want to be caught up into that darkness of soul. Uh, movement to low and earthly things. Here we go. Persons in spiritual desolation, on the contrary, feel no attraction to prayer and to God's service, but are drawn towards lower and more earthly things, material comforts, gratification of the body in various ways, memories of such things from the past. Immersion in empty trivia, diversion through the media, the internet, busyness, superficial conversation, and similar occupations. So, uh, you know, you uh, there's so many w- ways that this can happen, right? Where we, in a moment when we're a little agitated, we have the... the the moment when we choose, how am I going to respond to this? What am I going to do in the face of this? Call Roger. Call Roger. <laughs> yeah. That might help. Roger, listen to me. This is what's going on. Can you fix it for me? <laughs> um, we, 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 when we have this experience of being frustrated or being lonely or being... Uh, angry or whatever the, the thing that we feel, how do we respond? And I think there's a ton of people out there who have no idea how they respond. They just act. They just they're they're kind of programmed, right? We sort of we all have those things, those comforts right there, and it's like on speed dial, like oh, I'm bored or I'm I'm a little sad or I'm a little uh, out of sorts. What do I do? I medicate with whatever my choice thing is, you know. And uh, what am I looking? I'm looking for a way to, to offset that feeling that I'm having. Um, so he says, certainly many earthly things are, serve to provide a healthy re- relaxation that strengthens us humanly and so is in our service of the Lord. So we don't want to go to the extreme of like, well, I should never do anything earthly good because that means I'm reaching for a consolation. But it's in that moment I'm trying to fix the situation with this thing, right? So it's okay to have natural consolations, to seek out natural pleasures and things uh, within uh, what is allowed, right? But it's when I try to replace or try to deal with this experience I'm having rather than confronting it or rejecting it and it can get in there and get embedded. Okay, so there's moving to the low and earthly things. Let's talk about disquiet from various... uh, with various agitations and temptations. Uh, Within the heaviness of the desolation that the person experiences, a restless flow of agitating movements mixed with temptations that disquiet the person. So uh, it gives an example. Helen goes about the workday feeling sad, far from God, unable to focus on prayer or feel any interest in spiritual matters. Maybe we've had this experience too, like, in the moment when we should pray most, what do we what do we do? We don't want to pray, right? It doesn't feel good to pray. It doesn't feel helpful to pray. 
Um, and so we often will avoid prayer and we'll, we'll go to those other things. As the day wears on, the heaviness increases. She continues her activity, but her heart churns uh, with upsetting, agitating stirrings. She finds herself tempted to avoid prayer, to give up going, uh, to give up her going, her ongoing effort to love a difficult family member, to allow herself to speak sharply to another. She is tempted also to seek certain gratifications that she knows from long experience will only increase her sense of heaviness. This churning stream, these churnings stream from agitating stirrings and temptations is accompanied by a sense of disquiet. Their very presence troubles Helen and undermines her peace. Persons who experience such agitation, temptations, and disquiet of heart are undergoing spiritual desolation. So, we kind of have to notice the patterns, right? This is how the evil one attacks. And we have to see what he's doing. It's kind of like... Um, any of you guys play chess? No, that's not a good... Okay, let's, let's use sports. Maybe sports. Let's play chess. So, if, if you're... You guys watch basketball? This is Crosby. Okay. I'm not a basketball person, but... If, you're, if your opponent is doing some kind of offense, you kind of have to have the right defense, right? If you just keep doing the same, off, same defense that they're countering with their offense, you kinda, you're just kind of stepping into their plan, right? So you have to say, okay, I've got to respond to this in a way that, that is the right thing here. If you just keep doing the wrong move, they're just going to be like, oh, they fell for it again, right? So we have to be aware. We have to see what they're doing. We have to read the, the offense to do the defense. Or you can say the other way. If you're, the, if you're in football or whatever, you read the defense and to respond accordingly to, to, to get what you need to get done. So um, it's the same thing in, in the spiritual life. We have to be able to kind of read like, okay, these are the moves. This is the thing he's doing to try to get me off balance. And I have to recognize it and then kind of, reject it and claim uh, and ask for, for God's help in this area. So, um, let's see if we got another, yeah. Yes, let's do that. Uh, Ignatius advisedly qualifies this feeling of separation with the words, as if. So he's talking about our feelings. We feel certain things. Though they feel separated from God, persons in spiritual desolation are not, in fact, separated from God. So that's important, right? Because the feeling is, you know, everybody hates me. Everybody, uh, we, we make these statements in our, our mind or we hear these certain things. Um, this is a terrible day. This wedding is going to, look at how it's starting. It's going to be the worst. And we, we, the feelings that we have sort of separate us from, seem to separate us from God. It seems like God has abandoned us. But the reality is we know God never abandons us. He's always there. He's always willing to, to be with us, even in our worst moments. So God is always with us. Um, Ignatius is highlighting a fundamental characteristic of spiritual desolation. While it endures... Any felt consciousness of God's loving presence is, is weakened or absent, and such persons feel as if they were separated from God. And we know that's, that they're not. Uh, Ignatius' words, as if, prompt a crucial observation about spiritual desolation in general. 
Such desolation insinuates an identity between the heavy feelings of desolation and the person's real spiritual condition. So there's a, there's a false thing that's being believed by the person. Thus, in spiritual desolation, thoughts such as these will arise. You are now feeling a, a, a movement toward low and earthly things, toward various forms of self-indulgence. This is the kind of person you are. Uh, too weak to overcome what holds you back from God. You are troubled by various agitations and temptations this day. This is who you are. A person without spiritual peace, unable to rise above temptation. You feel no hope that your prayer will be fruitful today, and you feel little desire to pray. This is who you are. So you see how this we will experience these frustrations or these agitations, or, and it insinuates an identity. This is who you are. You're, you're a person who can't pray. You're a person who can't uh, know God. You just, you're never going to know it's God. Kind of like trying to plant lies. And yes. Getting you to try to grab. Yes, and 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 make us receive them and and accept this identity. Like this is who I am. I guess you're right. I'm I'm not very prayerful. I'm not very good at this because this has been my experience. This is my experience. This is who I am. And we we start to claim this right. This this identity. So. Um, that's that's his attack is often that way. And he uses all these different means, the disquiet, the temptations, the distractions, uh, to try to get us to bite on that. Aren't there any positives in there? <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. The, the, the positive here is when you hear these things and you see these things, you can say, okay, I know, I know this is the game plan that you're following. So the lie of spiritual desolation includes a false equation between what the person feels in desolation and what the person is spiritually. If we accept this lie, discouragement and decline in progress toward God are not far away. If, however, we understand that such feelings indicate rather the trial of spiritual desolation, that God's call is to be faithful and thus grow spiritually through the trial, then an energizing liberation takes place in our hearts. The bonds of the lie are broken, and we are set free to follow the Lord with courage. So, um, it's sort of like the barn facade. You know what a facade is? The barn facade is a fake barn. It looks like a barn, but when you look behind it, it's like this is. If this is the facade, it looks. If you're driving by on the road far enough away, oh, it looks like that barn over there. But then you walk over, and it's like. There's nothing behind the barn. That's sort of the, the devil. Like His stuff is empty. It looks good. It looks right. It looks just. It can fool us. But as soon as we poke it a little bit, it's like, wow, there's nothing there. Yeah. There's, there's actually, that's not who I am. I'm not that identity. I'm not that thing. Such experiences of spiritual desolation and Ignatius describes in his fourth rule, a person may experience one or several of these forms of spiritual desolation in combination. All the forms of spiritual desolation described possess in common the quality of heavy affectivity, meaning like just like a heaviness of soul kind of, in relation to our life of, of faith. Like spiritual consolation, spiritual desolation also varies in duration and intensity. Remember how we talked about uh, consolation could be a cookie or it could be like a relationship or a friendship or a, a sunshine. Uh, uh, beautiful sunshine or whatever. So there's different way, different levels. Same thing with desolation. It can be really intense or less intense. 
Um, two points are worthy of note here. Ignatius affirms that God gives the first lesson, that is spiritual consolation. So God is the one. Consolation always comes from God. Every consolation we experience, spiritual consolation, comes from God. Uh, so God gives consolation with equal clarity. It teaches that God does not give the second lesson, that is spiritual desolation, but simply permits it to be given by another agency, that is the enemy. God gives spiritual consolation. He never gives spiritual desolation. That's why it should always be resisted and rejected. God, however, does permit the enemy to give us spiritual desolation at times for reasons that lie within his loving providence. And we will talk about those in the future, I think, because we're only pretty much out of time. Later in the rules, especially in the ninth, Ignatius will instruct us further regarding God's loving reasons for permitting spiritual desolation. So if you want to look ahead, look at rule nine. Um, I, I think it will. Rule nine, just rule nine. That's a long ways away. Yeah, we got. We'll get there. Not next time, but the following time. Uh, as noted, it it is when we are unaware and do not understand the nature of spiritual desolation that we are most susceptible to its harmful de- deception. Once we, are, once we comprehend clearly in practical and usable terms that the nature of spiritual desolation, we are on the road toward freedom from his tyranny. That's important. That's why awareness is super important, because if without awareness, I don't see what's happening to me, and I'm caught in its snare. Okay, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we thank you for uh, this teaching. We ask you to continue to Help us uh, not just to hear it, but also to be able to start to apply it in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones, that uh, we could see both your consolation and desolation at work, that we could apply Ignatius' rules, uh, that we could resist when the evil one tries to to lead us down his path. We ask all of this uh, through our blessed mothers. We say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. While you were talking, Father, something.